you know, if you look at the advertising and the messages that young men get these days, I think we still promote strength as a definition of physical ability, as an ability to separate yourself from emotion, you know, turn your emotion off and be a man. Like for most of my life, be a man means be tough, you know, win the fight. If you get punched in the face, punch them right back in the face rather than, hey, get punched in the face and then talk about it and or or think, hey, he's just projecting his insecurities onto you. And so just accept that he's struggling and maybe offer to help him. That was Reed talking about some of the traditional definitions of masculinity. I met Reed when a mutual friend introduced us. She'd seen what I was doing with Silent Superheroes, and she knew Reed had just released a video called Shadows, Conversations About Men's Mental Health. When Reed and I first talked, we hit it off right away. I could tell I'd found a kindred spirit, someone who cared about sharing the stories behind mental illness. In this episode of Silent Superheroes, Reed and I will talk a lot about what it means to be a man living with depression. We'll talk about some of the parallels between physical illness and mental illness, and hopefully we'll lay some of the groundwork to help people have conversations about mental health. Remember, Reed and I are just two people talking about our personal experiences of living with mental illness. If anything you hear today gives you some concern about your mental health, or you're already managing a mental illness and you're considering a change to your treatment, please consult with a medical professional. My name's James Pratt. I'm the host of Silent Superheroes, and I'm really glad that you're here. Welcome to the Silent Superheroes podcast, a series of frank conversations about mental health at work. Welcome to Silent Superheroes. I'm here with today's guest, Reed. Reed, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me, James. So Reed, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you and, and what are we going to talk about today? Yeah, so so my name's Reed. I actually grew up in uh, in Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, and then about a decade ago, moved up to Kelowna, BC, which is just about a one-hour flight uh, east. And um, I actually work in tech now. So I work for an Australian-based software company called Practice Ignition and work on the customer success team. So I get to work with our new users and help them set up and, and kind of get going on our software app uh, and then also help them you know, streamline their workflow and, and integrate our app with other tools that they might use in their professional service firm to automate their client onboarding and client administration experience. You and I were introduced by a, a mutual friend and she made introduction by sharing a video you just posted to YouTube about uh, men's mental health. So tell us a little bit about that. How did that come about? I went through two different experiences last year in 2017. One of them was struggling with what ended up being a severe depression. And the other one was about six months after that, broke my arm skiing at Big White. So coming out of both of those experiences and having kind of recovered uh, from both of them, I really wanted to do something different this fall uh, for November, which is the the month where some men grow mustaches and we raise money and awareness about men's health, not just mental health, but other men's health issues as well. Uh, and so I just thought, you know, maybe I'll try and share my story, but thought of sharing your story about mental health as a man was pretty intimidating. There's a lot of stigma, I think, still. So rather than share my story, I was like, well, I'll just interview some other dudes and see if they'll share theirs. <laughs> And so, yeah, so I actually had, I, I just kind of put it out there on Facebook and then I put it out there in the Kelowna Tech Slack group. And I just said, hey, are there any any dudes out there that want to 
let me put a camera in front of their face and talk about mental health. And somewhat surprisingly, a number of men reached out and said, yeah, I'd love to, let's do it. So yeah, I interviewed eight different guys from around BC and then put together, yeah, just kind of a short documentary, opening up a discussion around men's mental health specifically and trying to understand why do we have this stigma and what can we do uh, to break it down. If uh, somebody wanted to go find that, what should they go search for? Yeah, if you just search um, uh, shadows, men's mental health, and I think now that it's it's had a bunch of views, it should rank pretty high if you just search shadows, men's mental health. Uh, should show up near the top of the YouTube search. And uh, it's just on my own uh, uh, personal YouTube account. So you'll see my name there. And, and I should say uh, that I went and watched the video and it's very, very moving. Thanks. I mean, it sounds dramatic, but it was a life-changing project or a life-altering, let's say, project. What is it now? It's it's We're in November. You know, two months ago, three months ago, I was just a dude that had struggled with mental health. And aside from a couple of close friends and family, no one knew about that. You know, I wasn't comfortable talking about it. You know, I took a chance on vulnerability and just kind of made this video. And and so so I, after interviewing these guys, I also kind of self-interviewed and shared my a little bit about my story and the magnitude of the response and the positivity that I've received has been just overwhelming, to be honest. You know, it's been such a such a great experience to go through. And almost every day now, whether it's someone in the community or someone from another country like yourself, or just, you know, someone I've never met comments or reaches out or sends me some kind of message and just thanks me for doing that, or maybe shares their own story with me. And it's such a positive experience. Uh, also take a chance on vulnerability and just, and just start a conversation so that we don't have to feel ashamed anymore. And we can just talk about mental health, just like we talk about physical health. You know, I wasn't ashamed when I broke my arm. I was like, Hey, look at my broken arm. This is look at my cool scar and my <laughs> x-ray, you know, like, I, as as a guy, I was kind of like proud almost of this, you know, physical injury, but I was scared and ashamed of my mental uh, injury or illness. So, so let's go into that a little bit. You said uh, six months prior to breaking your arm, you kind of you learned you were in a severe depression. Talk about that experience. Was that the first time that that you'd been in that place, or is that something that's you know been a part of your part of your life? You know, hindsight being twenty twenty. I may have struggled with depression-like symptoms before, but never to this magnitude and never really, never really got any kind of, um, not even a diagnosis, but never, never reached out to any medical professionals and actually got help with that. So what happened for me in the summer of 2017, I had a bunch of big life changes happen all at the same time. Um, I ended up uh, moving and buying a condo, which was overall a positive experience, but an adjustment. The software company I was working for at that time broke up, and so we got laid. I got laid off, which you know was a little bit scary, but not not a negative experience. I ended up getting a new job with a new company, which is where I still work and I love it. But you know, still an adjustment. And then the third thing that happened right after those two changes, uh, within a few weeks, is uh, one of my best friends passed away in a mountaineering accident. So. I did what I had done in the past when I when I was faced with a with a tough emotional situation was I put on a strong face and I just kind of like pushed away and hid and buried anything that was uncomfortable there that I didn't want to deal with because I just A, I thought that was what I should do and B, I thought that by doing that I could support my friends who were grieving and, and help people out that, you know, that were struggling. And so I think it was a situation where any one of those things maybe on their own, I, I could have managed or could have coped with, but but I couldn't. Um, and so I started to kind of struggle. So into the fall of 2017, started to struggle in my new job, you know, the, the stresses and excitement and challenges of a new job and kind of a draw role that I had done before, but I hadn't really done at that scale was um, it just kind of 
overwhelming. And so my discovery or learning about kind of mental health started with actually physical symptoms. I was having like stomach aches and nausea and things like that and went to a bunch of different walk-in doctors and eventually got diagnosed with what might be like kind of a stomach ulcer. But, you know, I still didn't really know what the cause was and eventually, eventually reached out to a therapist, talked to one therapist who ended up being more like a life coach. He wasn't actually like a clinical counselor. I found that experience to be pretty unhelpful. I was recommended to keep looking and try again. So I did get connected with a kind of a licensed counselor. Uh, and that was that was helpful. Uh, I had some sessions with her. In BC and Canada, um, a counselor can't diagnose anything. And I, I kind of didn't also want to be diagnosed with anything. But with her, I did some assessment tools. And one of the surveys, it ranks depression, stress, and anxiety. On the scale, I scored 20 on the depression scale. And the way that they rate it is... It's something like zero to five would be, you know, considered mild or kind of no symptoms. Six to 10 would be maybe mild or moderate. And it goes up to 14. And anything beyond 14 is considered severe. And I scored 20. So at that point, the therapist was like, look, I'm, I can't diagnose you. I'm not a clinician. I'm not going to diagnose you with something, but you. What this tells us is that you're experiencing things that people experience when they're depressed. That doesn't mean you're depressed or that you need to stress out about that, but that's, this is what it's telling us. And so I did talk to a doctor. I did actually talk to a physician. You know, he said that we could look at medication and some things like that, but he gave me some strategies around just kind of focusing on trying to get my sleep patterns into a bit healthier place. And, you know, so I was working on that and I was doing some sessions with kind of talk therapy with the therapist, with the counselor. And then I broke my arm skiing. It sounds a bit silly, but it was that event that really was the catalyst for change, the major tipping point in my kind of journey. I want to come back to that tipping point, you know, in a minute, but there's a few things that you, that you went through there I'm curious about. You mentioned that uh, you'd had this series of experiences, you'd uh, lost a job, uh, you'd moved, you'd lost a friend, and you said, you know, I didn't, you know, I kind of stuffed the feelings down. And I'm wondering, what did you do instead with those feelings? Oh, that's a good question. What did I do with those feelings? I think I just tried to escape them. Um, yeah, I started to drink more because that, that would numb, numb things and allow me to just escape. One of the challenges is that whenever I've tried to run away from my feelings in the past, I've always done it through some kind of physical activity. So I spent a long time riding motorcycles, sometimes at high speeds. But, uh, and, and then I got into rock climbing and skiing. And so I would, you know, my way of coping with life was to move my body and physically do something that was exciting or scary so that I didn't have to sit and marinate in these feelings I didn't want to be with. The problem was when, when my friend passed away, you know, the major thing that I used to do to cope with life and to escape was to be in the mountains. And then all of a sudden going there was a devastating, you know, created really negative emotions. And so I think, I guess the other thing I tried to do is I tried to just work more, just work a lot. I tried to just, yeah, get away from having to sit with myself and my feelings. I also heard you say that you trying to be strong and be there for your friends. Unfortunately, I've, I've been through a few um, losses uh, from accidents and things of friends or family. I've, I've dealt with grieving someone that's close to you a number of times and since I was a teenager. So, you know, I kind of went into my project manager mode and said, okay, I'm struggling too, but, you know, I'll be fine. I'm tough. I got this. I've been through this kind of thing before. And I just became, I just tried to put a lot of energy into being that support and that kind of point person for helping my friends manage their grief and um, supporting my, my friend who passed away, supporting his family, his mom. I think I tried to pour myself into that task as well, rather than confront my own situation, just kind of push that aside or put, put that away. There are all ways of hiding from your feelings in a way, right? You know, being up in the mountain, you're almost physically hiding away from them. 
drinking, as you say, kind of numbing the pain and then putting your feelings to one side so you can absorb and help, help others process them. So as men, what do you think makes us do that? Makes us run away from those feelings and, you know, stuff them down and put on the strong face? It's changing from what I've seen, especially in the past few weeks as I kind of accidentally have become a bit of a mental health advocate and I, and I start to connect and collaborate with different folks uh, like yourself. Uh, but I think, you know, have growing, having grown up in the 80s and 90s as I did, I think that society puts expectations on both genders. Uh, and on men, I think the expectation is that we're meant to be strong and be tough. And I think the definition of those words or the way we interpret those is to not cry, to not show weakness, to not ask for help, to go down fighting, right? I also think as men and as humans in general, not just men, but I think we're, we're also often extremely tough on ourselves. We are very self-critical of how we perform or don't perform or how we feel or don't feel. Ever since crashing motorcycles in my early 20s, you know, going through those life experiences, I've felt like I needed to work hard and make something of myself as a business professional, as a, as a person. You know, for the last 10 years, I've been quite driven in my experiences in college and, you know, working in tech. I've always been very achievement focused and I've wanted to, you know, do the next big thing and, and get better and be stronger and achieve and achieve and achieve. Probably addic- addicted to that would be a fair term, you know, addicted to that feeling of like, I'm, I'm growing, I'm getting bigger and better and faster and stronger. And I never really stopped to think it's okay to ask for help. You know, if you look at advertising and the messages that young men get these days, I think we still promote strength as a definition of physical ability, as an ability to separate yourself from emotion, you know, turn your emotion off and and be stronger, you know, man up, like man up and take it. For most of my life, be a man means be tough, you know, win the fight. If you get punched in the face, punch them right back in the face rather than, hey, get punched in the face and then talk about it and share your emotions and feelings and de-escalate, right? Like that's, that's not what we're taught to Give do. the other guy a hug. Yeah, right? <laughs> you know? Or, or think, hey, he's just projecting his insecurities onto you. And so just accept that he's struggling and maybe offer to help him. I was going to say, I mean, that may be our expectation that men aren't vulnerable, but we are starting to see more men be comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, think, and I think there's a lot of, maybe not movements, there's a lot of shifts that are happening to help with that. I think things like gender identity and sexual orientation are, are becoming more openly expressed and accepted. There's all kinds of things like that that are starting to happen and it takes time and you know it's not something that will change overnight. But you know, my hope and my whole goal now is that people stop thinking about mental health as some unique and different thing from health in general. It's just, it's just health, right? And if it's health inside your brain, it's brain health or mental health. If it's health inside your cells, that's, you know, cellular biology. It's, but it's all just health. Somebody who's having a heart attack, you'd call 911, right? Yeah. If somebody is, says to you, I'm considering suicide, they're considering killing themselves. That's not our first reaction, I think. Because when I tell people, like, just call 911, they're like, oh, can I do that? Yeah. Yeah, you can do that. Like, because somebody's life is, you know, is in danger. I think I'm trying to illustrate your point that we treat mental health and physical health differently. You know, at that moment of crisis, you know, heart attack or imminent suicide attempt. Right now, we think of them differently, but we have to think of them the same. There, I just watched a TED Talk by a psychologist or psychiatrist based in Europe. He's written a book as well called Mental Health First Aid. But his analogy was this, if you ask a six-year-old kid what to do when you scrape your knee, they'll know that you need to clean the wound and maybe put a Band-Aid on it or protect it so it doesn't get worse and get infected. But if you ask a kid or an adult, what do you do if someone's struggling with loneliness or signs of depression? None of us know what to do, and it's not necessarily our faults. I mean, 
very few of us know how to identify invitations when someone's considering self-harm or suicide. So I just did a course, uh, a three-hour course a couple of weeks ago with the Canadian Mental Health Association uh, branch here in Kelowna, where I live, um, about suicide alertness. And they actually gave everyone there a really handy little kind of script or methodology for having that conversation. The big takeaway for me was that just like if I come across a car crash and, you know, some, there's some traumatic injuries to someone's uh, physical body. My job as a, as a person with like the basic level first aid is to just try and keep them safe until help arrives. And that's exactly what you do if you're helping someone who is uh, considering or, or thinking about suicide. I'm not a interventionist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. But what I can do now that I've done this very easy to take and short course is I know at least now how I can keep them safe and what resources I can put them in touch with to kind of get them connected with a medical professional that they need based on what their situation is. Is that in BC somewhere? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that'll be in Kelowna here as well. So uh, in Canada, we've got a fantastic organization, the Canadian Mental Health uh, Association, and they have branches or offices basically across the country. Their trainers and their staff also travel uh, to businesses as well. The more I have these conversations, the more I start to see that depression hides in a lot of different places. For Reed, it had hidden in persistent nausea. He tried to escape the depression by going to the mountains or drinking too much or helping other people with their grief. Another place that depression hides, particularly for men, is anger. Reed's story about a fight reminded me of, I think, the one time I was peripherally involved with a bar fight. A friend of mine had got into an argument with somebody about the suit they were wearing. And as I was trying to break up the fight, I got punched in the back of the head. I didn't react at the time. I don't know if it was because somehow I knew it wasn't worth it, or maybe I was just scared of getting hit again. How do we find out whether the person who's just punched us in the back of the head is just being a jerk, or maybe has something else going on? So Reed and I started to talk about invisible wounds, and how to start having conversations about mental health. As you were describing coming across a car accident... And your job as somebody with basic first aid was to kind of, you know, like, I I see somebody has injuries and wounds, like I have to keep them stable, keep them safe. It occurred to me that the wounds of mental health are not visible. Until you told me, I couldn't have seen by looking at you that you had, that you'd lost a friend or that you'd lost a job. Mm -hmm. And it feels like that's what sometimes makes this difficult, which is the wounds are not, they're only visible to the person who's, who's received them. Yeah, until you talk about it until you talk about it. It's the only way we can heal those wounds is to actually expose them. I think the crux of the issue is that there's two hurdles. One is they're invisible until they're not. And the only way to make them visible is to talk about it or share that with someone because there's no imaging equipment, even in the hospitals or in the science labs that can go and, and image our brains and, and be like, oh, Reed is overwhelmed with a new job and the loss of a friend and all this stuff. It's impossible to see or to share unless you're willing to have the courage to go and share it. Um, and then the second you know, problem or challenge is that let's say you find the courage to share it and do it. And like you've taken this chance on vulnerability. The second part of the challenge is people don't know how to react to that a lot of the times. 
when I would go to a tech meetup, you know, and I show off my arm and a cast and I show the x-ray of my super duper broken arm, I'm like, it's easy to see and it's easy for people to react to, right? People are like, man, you're so tough. Like you're already back at work three days after surgery. Like, wow, like you're so cool. Like, man, look at that arm. Like that must have been so painful. Like, you know, and so they like, they don't have to think about how to react. They just react to it in, in a positive and a supportive and encouraging way. Hey, do you need a ride? Can I make you some dinner tonight? You know, whatever. And reinforcing that strong stereotype in doing so. Exactly. Right? Like right? you're a hero because you're back at work. Yeah, exactly. Um, they look how tough you are. You just push a pain aside like a real champion. If you showed up at a tech event, not to, this isn't tech related, you show up at any event or you talk to anyone, you say, yeah, actually... I just like scored off the charts on this depression, you know, analysis scale. And I haven't felt happiness. I haven't felt happy in months. And in fact, I've been thinking about suicide. You know, you say that to someone, even a friend, and it was, it was just as tough for them as it was for me. I came across a website earlier this year. I think it was put out by Kaiser Permanente. It had conversation guides for people to talk about mental health. And I hadn't seen that before. Have you come across any other resources? You've done your class, but how are you learning to to have these conversations? So one of the things that was really cool uh, in the video project is I interviewed Mike Gallick. Mike is a director of service delivery and program innovation. So he volunteered to be part of my video project. And I asked him two questions. One, what should you do if you're struggling? How can you get help for yourself? And two, how do you support someone who's struggling? What do you do for that person? What you need to do is you need to just listen and try and listen without judgment, which is not a complex task, but it's a difficult one. Right? I was going to say, it's, yeah, it's really hard, actually. What happens is when you listen to someone without judgment, it allows them to share their story and just explain their experience to someone who is not going to necessarily even try and go solve their problem. Just listen to it so that that burden is lifted off of their shoulders. Like you said, it's no longer invisible. Now this thing is visible. Someone else knows about it. Even just doing that, even just listening to someone can be incredibly helpful. I'm just trying to become better at listening uh, without judgment and without coming and with, and without listening so that I can then solve a problem or have a, have a thing to do next. Just, just listen and digest and absorb and, and I think to do that, not only when there's a crisis or when someone's struggling, but I feel like particularly as men, we have to practice that all the time. If we're going to gather around down at the bar, we have to practice it there. You know, if we're going to go play sports or go skiing or snowboarding, like we have to practice it there because that's how it becomes normal. And, if, and I think probably feels less uncomfortable when it is a crisis, when someone is hurting. It's good. You know, I think the change is happening and I think... You know, this podcast that you're doing, right? This project that you're putting your energy into, I think is another huge, it's just such a great thing that we're, that you can do to help promote that for other people to have that experience. By hearing these conversations, hopefully that's another resource that helps people have that conversation. You know, hearing two people who have had these experiences and, and, you know, have become more used to talking about it, talk about these issues, you know, maybe that makes it easier. I'd love if you're willing to talk about that period of depression and what life was like for you at that time? The depression for me, my experience was this inability to experience any happiness or joy no matter what I did. And and what was scary for me is that 
the things that I loved to do, I had no desire to do. You know, when ski season started, I bought a ski pass because my sister told me I basically had to. And she's like, you love to ski. And I know you might feel like you don't want to ski. You just want to go home from work and lie on the couch until Monday. Again, like thankfully I had friends and family that encouraged me to do those things. But I just, every day just felt like I would wake up and think, you know, shit, what do I have to get through today so that I can just be done my day and go back to bed or back to the couch? One of the other huge challenges for me is that historically I'd been this kind of somewhat extroverted kind of life of the party kind of guy when I was struggling with depression and feeling, you know, feeling physically sick, feeling physically tired because I couldn't sleep well. I just pulled back from all of my friendships and all of my non-work obligations and just crawled away into this thing, um, which in hindsight I'm learning uh, was like one of the worst things you can do if you're depressed. It's, uh, it's an understandable reaction. When we have the flu or a cold, we naturally pull back from people and kind of quarantine ourselves because we don't want to spread spread the virus and make our friends or colleagues sick, right? Some people, myself included, pulled back when I was struggling with a mental infection. You don't want to bring other people down. To be really transparent, the worst part of that whole experience was Christmas uh, 2017. So I went down to Vancouver like I do every year for Christmas and I spent Christmas with my mom and dad and my sister. I just kind of sat there and stared at the window for the whole time I was there, just, just just feeling like I was ruining Christmas. I was hoping that getting out of the city, like going down to Vancouver, traveling and being somewhere new, and I was hoping that I would, that would be a positive thing and make me feel better, and it made me feel a whole lot worse. I felt like I had come to accept the fact that my life is shit, but now I'm making everyone else's life around me horrible because... That's the start of a spiral. You know, you feel shit, then you convince yourself that you're making everybody else feel shit, which tells you that I'm shit. It spirals pretty quickly, right? Where it's like, actually, maybe these people would be better off without me. I mean, I can share now that I did. I did think about suicide and I didn't make a plan for it. I didn't, I didn't feel like I would actually do it or that I'd ever have the, the willingness to do it. Uh, and I think what saved me from that or what prevented me from maybe following down that path a little further is that, you know, six months prior, I had just seen uh, what happens when one of my best friends died and how much sadness and grief that brought into my community of friends and family. When I was struggling most, every day was shit. From a logical standpoint, if every day of your life is shit and you truly believe it's not going to get better, which is how I felt in that state, that's a pretty shitty way to have to experience life. And so for me, it was like a dialogue in my head of like, I've been struggling with this thing for a long time and there's so much uncertainty around the prognosis. You know, I think that was for me, the other really hard part is like you break your arm and yeah, it's kind of painful and stuff. But they'll literally screw you back together. And you know that three months later, you'll be doing some physio. And six months later, you should be, you know, pretty strong. And a year later, you'll be, you know, 100%. There's so much less certainty around depression and what that recovery looks like and how long it might take and what milestones you may or may not hit along the way that, again, no fault of the medical profession. But at least for me, I wasn't able to talk to anyone that gave me that kind of confident project manager Gantt chart timeline that I wanted. What are your expectations moving forward about depression and the role that it'll play in your life? I worry a little bit about having another episode or or experience of, of severe depression. As I'm learning more about what depression is and what my experience is with it, I think there's still uncertainty and that's the part that makes me scared. You know, what if a year from now something happens or what if some other life event triggers another negative spiral? But past like three to four weeks, 
I've become much less afraid of that. And I, and I think what's happened for me is two things. One, as I've been through an experience of depression and come out the other side, I feel like no matter how bad it gets in the future, I'll always know that, hey, this isn't your new normal forever. You know, this is like, look, you've been through this before or something like this before. You've been through a challenge that you that scared the shit out of you and like, and like rocked me to my core. You know, I didn't, I didn't know what pain was and what fear was until last year. I knew what I thought it was. I mean, I've broken my arm twice actually. So to go through that, it just, it expands your awareness. Right. And so, so one thing is I'm more aware and I have better self-awareness for when I do start to get into negative things or, or when I, when life starts to get overwhelming, instead of doing what I've done in the past, which is push emotion away and be a man and be tough. Now I'm going to reach out for help. I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to share it. And I'm going to let that burden not sit on my shoulders solely, but share it with the people who can support me or the medical professionals that can help me through that. So, so that gives me a lot of confidence. I think I'll be more aware and I can manage it better. The other thing is um, I've just had such an incredible experience in the last few weeks having these these open and authentic conversations that I don't think I could ever feel alone ever again or I could ever, you know what I mean? I've, I've had such powerful connections with total strangers. I think, I hope anyway, that even if I struggle again with depression or any other health or mental health crisis, I think unlike a year ago when this was new to me and I didn't, I didn't know and it was also uncertain, I think no matter how bad it gets, I can think back of what's happened to me in the last like three, four weeks and use that to, you know, stop that downward spiral or to like shine a little bit of hope and light into an otherwise dark and scary place. The way I think about it is that, and again, let's use the the kind of physical mental parallels. If you tear ligaments in your knee and you get them repaired, you need to work on building up the strength around your knee, right? To protect it. And what I'm hearing you say is, you know, you are preparing for and you're building your mental strength so that the next time something like this happens, you have, you have tools, you have exercises, you have things that you can do to support that, that injury. You know, and that's a beautiful analogy because not only do I love to play all the sports, but I'm, I'm always getting injured from them physically. <laughs> um, and some of my best friends, and in fact, some of my friends that have helped me through depression are physiotherapists. Oh, wow. And so we spend a lot of time talking about exactly that. And so I was just having this conversation with a, a guy I know through the rock climbing community here about exactly that, how at 35 now, I spend a lot of time stretching and, you know, using a foam roller and doing all of these preventative things to maintain my physical health so that I can A, prevent injuries from happening in the first place, hopefully, or inevitably when they do happen, because I, the way I push my body, um, I can then rehab them and um, prevent them from growing into ma- more major long-term chronic things. I'm doing the exact same thing, or I'm working on doing the exact same thing for my mental health, understanding how to listen to my body and listen to my emotions so that I can provide better prevention, earlier intervention. Yeah, I guess just like build this resilience, just like my broken arm, my now multiple time broken arm, it's going to leave me scarred and there's scar tissue and there's limitations on range of motion in the wrist joint maybe. For me, I guess I don't have to define myself anymore by that experience or like live in fear of it happening in the future.
One of the hardest things about depression is the feeling of isolation. Reed describes how he pulled back from friendships and went home for the holidays and just stared out of the window. In his book, Lost Connections, Johan Hari shares some research that was done initially in the 50s or 60s, and then again more recently. The research asked a simple question. How many people do you have that you could turn to if there was a real crisis? When it was first done, the answer? Five or six. When it was done more recently? Zero or one. We live in an age where, in theory at least, we're more connected than we've ever been. Through Facebook, through Twitter, through Instagram. But I think we're also starting to recognize that... We don't connect authentically through those tools and through those platforms. And as that research suggests, we have less authentic relationships than we ever have. And that makes having some of these conversations about mental illness all that more challenging. But it's something that we have to do. We have to get good at talking about what's really going on. And like any new muscle, it's going to take exercise and practice to build it up. I'm grateful for people like Mike Gallick or for Kaiser Permanente for putting out their guide to having conversations about mental illness, because those give us a place that we can start. Reed's story is pretty uplifting. He identified his depression pretty quickly, and he took that experience and turned it into a wonderful movie telling the stories of other men battling with their mental health. But I wondered, what was Reed's experience at work as he learned how to live with depression? Let's talk a little bit about work. We've mentioned it a few times, you know, the, the role you, you play in bringing structure to the work and solving problems. When you were in this period of severe depression, what was work like for you? Uh, yeah, work was, work was overwhelming. So my job role that I got hired for was operations manager globally for the company. Um, and at that time, we had about 30, I think 33 employees based in five different kind of offices and some folks working remote as well outside of an office. I was trying to work on these internal projects to help create more efficiencies and more scalability in, in our operations. And so I would kind of be at work or go into work and just think, okay, is there something that I can advance today? Is there some kind of progress I can make on a thing? And if not, like, what am I going to do to occupy my time until I can clock out and say like, okay, I've put in an effort today. I mean, I like tried to put in an effort that I felt was reasonable for what was expected of me and just like hoped for the best every day. But it was, um, it was just, a, I was like in survival mode. I was just trying to get through the workday until I could get home and then try and like escape the emotional state I was in and do that by watching movies all night or whatever it was. What feedback did you get through that time on how you were performing, how you were doing? My situation was kind of helpful uh, in the sense that there's four uh, people that are the core leadership team of our company. And one of them is actually works in our office in Kelowna here and is also a good friend of mine who kind of opened the door for me to work with the company. So I'm lucky. I mean, it was incredibly supportive, right? He offered ideas and suggestions for how I could could tackle getting things done at work while figuring out my health-related issues. So you were able to tell him that I realized I'm in a severe depression? I mean, not for a long time. No, it took a while, but I was able to tell him, hey, I'm having like, I've been kind of nauseous for like a week and I don't really know what it is. And he was like, no worries, man, take a day off, go work from home. And so again, because for me, it was actually physical symptoms that led me to then understanding the mental symptoms or the mental things that were happening. And it was actually not until 
until a little while later when I'd been kind of investigating or working on these physical symptoms of nausea that I went and sent an email to all four of the leadership teams. I just said, hey, like kind of Reed's health update, you know, here's where I'm at. And most of it talked about going to the doctor and trying to get this thing figured out. And, you know, I'm going to work from home a bit, and but I'm still, I'm still here and I'm being strong and tough and I'm getting shit done. And at the very end of one of the emails, eventually I was like, um... And there might be some mental health things. I'm not really sure. I just kind of kept giving them weekly updates. And it wasn't until, it wasn't until, you know, probably a month or two later where it was like, look, here's the situation with my mental health. I'm working on getting better. I'm working on it back, back to 100%. I want to make sure that you're getting a good return investment on me as an employee. And so if you feel that you're not, like, let's talk about that. I, I almost like wanted them to fire me so I could not feel like I was again being a burden or like not living up to my expectation. And thankfully, instead of firing me, you know, my CEO and the other leadership in our company are caring human beings. And the response I got was something along the lines of, we'll follow your lead on this. Like you do what you think you need to and let me know how we can help. He said that and I still felt like shit because I was like, I still felt like I was failing in my job and I wasn't performing at the level that I could be performing at. And so thankfully, after a few months of this struggle, I think my CEO and their leadership team recognized that my mental health challenges aside, Having an operations manager that isn't in head office and works so far away physically and time zone wise, maybe this was just a bad fit. And at the time, we had some opportunities uh, show up to fill a job role of a customer success manager, which is also with a job I've done uh, in previous companies. And so that happened around the time where I, you know, I'd been struggling for a few months. Uh, my physical health was starting to get better. My mental health was, you know, not great. I took on that new job role. And again, that was like an immediate kind of shift or, or, or change point where, okay, now I've got a job role that's a bit more tangible, like operations manager. Also, you have to wear a lot of hats. You do a lot of different things. You know, it's a challenging, it's a challenging role in any organization. Um, but for me, as someone who's struggling with severe depression, I just, it was too much. I couldn't do it. Um, so thankfully, the job role I'm in now, which is customer success manager, was um, what I needed and what I could do and what I could excel at. In hindsight, I, I got really lucky. I had a company that said, hey, you know, we don't have an art, we don't have an HR department. We didn't have, oh, read, okay, hold on, let me refer you to this person. And you're going to, you know, like there's a lot of companies that do have resources like that. And that's great. If someone's listening to this and they work in a, maybe a larger company or in a company like that, I, ho I hope they feel like they can reach out to HR or talk to someone about that. Because from what I understand, some of these large organizations have amazing resources for that. Well, we don't. We're a small company. We're dispersed all over the world. But what I did have is I had human beings that said, you know what, we hired you to do a job. And obviously, you're here to hit your targets. And you know we have investors and we're trying to grow the company. It, it makes me so happy to a, continue to work with this company and, and think that you know here was a situation where it would have been easy to kind of like let me go, maybe lay me off or even fire me and say, look, you've been here for three months. We tried out in the job role. We're not really hitting the, the KPIs or OKRs or whatever metrics you want to use. Sorry, it's not working out. Well, let's say thank you to your uh, leadership team there for being good human beings and modeling, I think, what people need to experience in their workplaces um, as, it, you know, as it pertains to mental health, but I would argue to all kinds of health and experiences at work. And you said, you know, we don't, we have a small company, we don't have resources. You've got resources now. Yeah. Like you've got you. Yeah. Well, and interestingly enough, you know, one of the places I shared my video was on our company wide Slack channel. If anyone that works in the company, you know, wants to talk now they have, yeah, they have me and sure time zones are a bit of a challenge, but we all connect on Slack all the time. So it's like, look, send me a direct message, shoot me an email, shoot me a text and we'll get on a zoom call and we'll talk face to face and I can, you can talk and I'm here to listen. You know, you let me know. 
it feels like it's a network effect, right? Where you, know, you have a conversation at your workplace, I have a conversation at my workplace, and then like you know, we get bridged together, and then that makes space for somebody else to have a conversation, you know. And hopefully, we're hitting a time where this is going to start spreading like a like a virus. More and more people will feel empowered to to have them. When you were talking about your experience of work, it was really interesting how you went through the journey from talking about your health, your physical health. And then because it, you learned it was okay to talk about your physical health and you were getting support, felt like that opened the door for you to talk about your mental health a little bit. You went from the comfortable health to talk about to the less comfortable health to talk about. That was cool. One of the things that like scared the shit out of me and, and created this like really negative thought cycle spiral I thought a lot, like day in, day out, I thought, okay, if I've got depression or some kind of mental illness and I tell my employer, A, how are they going to react? And then I thought, I thought, shit, if I lose this job and I'm struggling with mental health, how would I ever go get a job again? How would anyone ever want to work with me? So I I had this really incredible experience with one of the men um, from the video I interviewed where we showed the video locally uh, and then had a panel discussion around mental health and tried to start that conversation. And so I invited all of the men in the video to join us and be on that panel. And he said, you know, I want to, I'd like to, but I'm working on contract right now. And I'm afraid that if people associate me with this, it'll be harder for me to get a new work contract. And I said, you know, I was super scared of that same thing a few months ago. And having put myself out there and now just like like a lot of people in the community where I live know my name or at least have heard of this thing, this video. I've actually found the opposite has happened where I think now this experience, I'm no longer going to be ashamed and I'm going to just put it out there. I think that makes me a much more attractive potential employee and has opened you know some opportunities. Yeah. And he was like, wow, that's cool. He's like, he, you know, he never thought about that way. He never thought about like, actually, maybe the fact that he just was in a video talking about depression as a man, like maybe that that's actually super cool and that's super powerful and that's super, like, that's a sign of strength, not a sign Isn't of weakness. It? It's strength. I right? think so. You mean, it's, it's literally redefining strength, I think. You know, and, and I also was lucky enough to get on the local radio show uh, here and, and the radio host, uh, BMAC, he came out publicly about his struggles with anxiety and depression as well. He was like, yeah, he's like, I know I thought the same things. You know, I thought that men are meant to be tough and that being tough was hiding emotion and not, not sharing and not being vulnerable. But he's like, it's wrong. In fact, the, the inverse of that is true. Being tough is being vulnerable and talking about these things and putting yourself out there knowing that some people may judge you and some people may react negatively to that. Uh, for me anyway, the response has been 100% positive. Being able to take this incredibly negative experience and convert that into something positive, it's just been, it's just been great. You know? And it's not to be like geeky about science, but I think one of Newton's laws, energy can't be created or destroyed. It can only change from one form to another. I think we just science. I just, I just got lucky with science. I had this. <laughs> I, I just... We just science the shit out of this negative energy <laughs> and we just converted it into the other form, which is positive, you know, and taking a chance on vulnerability. And man, am I glad I did. What would you say to somebody who you know, has recently broken their arm after having a few you know, rough experiences? And what would you say to read of a, of a year ago? So I think the most important thing that I would say was something that I heard, but I couldn't accept, but I would just keep saying it. This is an injury, which maybe with you forever, you know, it doesn't mean that your life will ever be what it used to be, but that's okay. Because like all injuries, it can be managed, it can be supported, it can be therapied. And it doesn't mean that the, that your life as you know, it is over. 
It just means that your life will be different from what it used to be. And I think I would have told myself, Reed, you can be a man and you can be strong and also ask for help and tell people, tell everyone that you're overwhelmed and you're struggling and life is shit. And you don't have to feel like sharing your struggle is a burden on other people because it's not. Yeah, it only needs one person, right? You tell people, a lot of people might not be able or willing to pick up the, in inverted commas, burden, but there is probably somebody in your life who is willing and able to pick up that burden and be support. So tell people so you can find who that person is. The other thing I would tell myself as I'm, as I'm marinating on that question, getting medical help, talking to a, a clinical counselor, talking to a psychologist, uh, talking to a doctor doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It just means that you have a health issue that you're getting a health professional to help you with. Being a man and going to see a counselor every week for weeks and weeks, in fact, means you're strong. Just like, is it just like I would go see my physiotherapist every two weeks to help rehab my knee or rehab my elbow or whatever else? I'm going to go and talk to my counselor uh, to rehab my mind. It's no big deal. No. And by talking about that, those experiences, you put down a, a paving stone for somebody else to stand on. Absolutely. And, and eventually, maybe we can get to a place where these kinds of efforts are kind of unnecessary because yeah. there is no stigma and yep. no one cares about, about <laughs> a podcast about mental health and mental yeah. health in the workplace because we all just talk about it anyway. And so you, <laughs> you and I can just kind of work ourselves out of a job. So that's to speak. it. That's it. Um, that, that's the goal, right? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Reed, anything else that you want to you wanna say as we come to wrap up here? Uh, I just want to say thank you to you um, and all these other people I've met. I want to, you know, the Canadian Mental Health Association, there's a charity in Kelowna here called Third Space Coffee, which is a, coffee, a non-profit coffee house that then funds free counseling for people. I've like become aware of like all of these other stakeholders and all these other individuals and organizations and community groups that are doing what we're trying to do, right? Which is promote health. And I, and I feel really stoked that I now have this kind of side project. You discovered your side hustle, which is one video, and it sounds like there are more to come, which I'm excited about. And that work has real meaning to you. It's got purpose. And I think that's, that's part of your rehab. It's building the muscle. I think you kind of let the secret out. And the secret is... <laughs> I'm the one that's really benefiting from all this attention and conversation and dialogue. I mean, I kind of, I kind of said it before, but you know, if, and when I struggle in life, mental health, physical health, any kind of struggle, I'll never be the read that felt alone and disconnected. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm just so thankful for, for who I consider to be the real heroes of mental health, which is like the folks that work at Canadian mental health association that day in, day out, you know, advocate for people who are suffering in silence and, put their whole careers into this thing that is underfunded and maybe not getting the attention that it needs or deserves. And they just do it anyway. I'm going to thank you back. You made a beautiful video. It's so important for men, I think, to see other men talking about their feelings and their mental health. Like it was scary to take that first step. And now it's just being like this wave of awesomeness. And I'm like, sweet. Let's do it. Let's collaborate. Let's talk about it more. You know, I just last night I gave a talk at Okanagan College to a group of students there, part of a volunteer program, you know, and it was like, man, this is so cool. Like, I'm just going to end my workday and pop over and show the video I did and do have like a little 10 minute slide deck thing. And my life is so good. And I can't even believe how good it is, especially compared to how it felt last year. I think the idea of just take the first step is a beautiful place to, to wrap this up.
hopefully somebody listening to this can can take a step. And know that if you know that if you're afraid to take the step, it could be the best thing you've ever done. Could be the best thing you've ever done. It was for me. Reed, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, which is Reed, R-E-I-D, Shretlin, S-C-H-R-E-T-L-E-N. My Twitter handle is just at Reed Shretlin. Uh, and then if you want to check out the video, again, you can just Google me on YouTube or search uh, Shadows Men's Mental Health. And what you'll see if you go to my channel, I've got two other videos as well, and there's some more coming down the pipe. Um, so that's happening. And then I've started recording other stories of men and women, because this isn't depression and mental health isn't a male issue, it's an everyone issue. So got yeah a few more videos kind of in post-production right now and or a couple lined up for production so uh yeah over the coming weeks and months here if you uh if you are interested and want to see and hear some more stories you can definitely uh you can subscribe and like on uh, on youtube and you'll get notified when those uh, new videos come out awesome um i will add all of that in the show notes and i would strongly encourage people to go subscribe to to reed's youtube channel because i think there's some great stuff coming up so that's reed's story I think there are three important things to take away from this episode. First is, if you're a workplace, do what Reed's management did. Let somebody know that you're there for them. Yeah, I know that business is tough. You've got competitors and that you need to get ahead. But I always think about it like this. What is it I want to be remembered for? Do I want to be remembered as the boss who made everybody work really hard and made them miss important events? The one that contributed to Jared's divorce? Or do I want to be remembered as the boss who gave a damn? That doesn't mean that you don't get things done. It doesn't mean that you're not successful. But it does mean that people will be grateful to work for you. And out of that gratitude, surprisingly, comes great results. The second thing to remember is that physical health and mental health are the same. If you see somebody having a heart attack, you call 911. If you see someone in a mental health crisis, you call 911. If you're recovering from a physical injury, you put work in to rehab to build muscle. If you're recovering from a mental illness, you need to put work in. You need to build muscle. The final thing is that we really need to be talking about mental health. It's hard. Most people don't know what to say. Reed and I and other people that you hear on this show, we're not exactly sure what to say. But I think the best advice was listen. Listen without judgment. You don't have to fix You don't have to explain away what somebody's feeling. Just listen. And I think that is a great first step. If you like what you've heard in today's episode, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcast. If you want to hear about new episodes as they're released, please go to facebook.com forward slash silent superheroes or sign up for our newsletter at silentsuperheroes.com. And please remember, The people that you hear on this show are people talking about their personal experiences of managing mental illness. If you have any concerns about your mental health, please reach out to someone, a doctor, a therapist, or a counselor. And if you're already working with a mental illness and you're thinking about making a change to the way that you're managing it, please consult with a trained medical professional. Take your mental health seriously. If you need to speak to someone, you can call 1-800-273-8255 or text crisistextline.org at 741-741. Both provide 24-7 confidential counseling to people in the United States. Worldwide, visit iasp.info slash resources 
slash crisis underscore centers slash. To help others find the Silent Superheroes podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting service.